بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين يا رب العالمين اللهم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي We continue tonight with the fiqh of salah uh, from Buluhul Maram and we are currently in the chapter of Al-Babul Hathi ala al-Khushu' We'll be speaking about the importance of khushu' in the salah and we explain that khushu' is that concentration, that focusing it's also the tranquility and the stillness of the limbs whilst the heart is present Uh, well, the heart is focused on the salah and concentrating on the salah and not thinking and, and a person's mind is not distracted and thinking about other things which is not part of the salah. So we've spoken about a number of ahadith that mentions the importance of khushu' and how these ahadith basically motivate us to work on our khushu' to increase on our khushu' and we mentioned this last week That khushu' doesn't just come. It doesn't just, you know, you don't just stand there all of a sudden you're in a different zone. Huh? All of a sudden you're in a different, you're out of the dunya and you're somewhere else. You know, khushu' needs to be worked on. Khushu' needs to be worked on and practiced. And uh, as they say, practice makes perfect. So the same with your salah. You don't just stand in the salah all of a sudden and all of a sudden you're going to a, a special st- you know, state of mind where you only focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, as we mentioned, the shaitan will come and he will try and disturb you and disrupt your salah. So, he, he has already lost the first battle which was to prevent you from making salah. But the next battle that comes up is The moment you're on the musalla, you're in that state of worship, he then comes and he tries to destroy that worship or break that worship down such that you don't benefit from the salah, such that your reward for that salah is at the minimal. Uh, understand? So it's important that we are be on guard against the shaitan. The Quran says that shaitan is a And clear enemy for you. Adu and Mubin. He's an Adu that is Mubin. It's clear. So take him as an enemy. You should treat him as an enemy. You should be on guard. Right? So we go through the rest of the chapter. There's just a few ahadith that we'll cover tonight uh, to complete the chapter of Khushu' insha'Allah. The first hadith for the evening is from Anasin radiallahu anhu that he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إذا كان أحدكم في الصلاة فإنه يناجي ربه. When one of you are in salah, whilst you are making salah, فإنه يناجي ربه. Then you are having a discussion with Allah or a dialogue with Allah. You are now addressing who? Allah عز وجل. فلا يبصقن بين يديه. So this person should not spit in front of him. Nor to his right hand side. 
ولكن عن شماله تحت قدمه متفق عليه but rather to his left beneath يعني his feet or behind him أو تحت قدمه بأو different devices أو uh, basically behind him right um, and this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim so again this is to do with khushu the hadith is all about khushu in the salah because the person that's in salah he is addressing Allah he is basically having a, d- a discussion with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so therefore, the one in salah should have the appropriate adab with Allah Azza wa Jal. You should have the appropriate respect and mannerisms and etiquette towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And if this person understands this, the one in salah understands and realizes this, then bi'idnillah he will have khushu'. When we understand and realize the state that we are in, and the importance of this great act of worship, the salah, that you are actually now in a discussion with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then bi'idhnillah khushu' will come about. When you realize, that's just this part of the hadith, yunaji rabbahu, the one that's making salah, he is busy having a, a dialogue with Allah. That point alone is enough to bring about khushu' Because you take anybody in this dunya, some, let's take a person of importance, if you're having a dialogue with the president, or you're having a dialogue with some minister, or your own boss, for example, you're having a dialogue with him, what's your state of mind? Where's your focus? Will you be concentrated on the discussion to make sure you're not lost? To make sure your mind doesn't wander, such the boss says something and all of a sudden you don't know what he said, and you don't know what you're talking about. You end up making a fool of yourself, isn't it so? And he's going to realize this person's got no interest at the job or, or on the current job or the current discussion on this job. It's a problem, isn't it so? The same, you're speaking to any person of importance. And while that person speaks to you, he realizes, but this guy's thinking of something else. I'm speaking to him about this issue that needs to be, dra- needs to be done and addressed now. It's a major important issue. This job cannot get done until this person does this. He needs to fulfill his work. But the more the boss is speaking, the more this person is thinking about the rugby, or he's thinking about cricket, or he's thinking about this person, or that colleague at work, or some issue that happened at home, or something else is on his mind. Can you imagine what the boss's reaction would be? You know, you'd obviously flip, as we say. So this is your discussion with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That point alone is enough to bring about khushu'. That's what the shaykh is basically saying. Because Allah azza wa jal knows exactly what's in that person's heart. The boss, you can still get away with it in reality because you might be thinking about something the boss doesn't know what you're thinking. Whereas Allah azza wa jal knows exactly what you are thinking. He knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows exactly what's going through your mind. So just this thought alone is enough to bring about khushu'. Um, so the shaykh says, Yunaji rabbahu, it basically means where you are speaking to Allah. You are having a discussion with Allah. You are speaking and Allah Azza wa Jal responds to what you are saying. We do not hear the response, 
But we know that he responds. As we know from a hadith Qudsi, from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, where Allah Azza wa Jal, he said in a hadith Qudsi, Qasamtu salata bayni wa bayna abdi nisfain. Allah says that I divided the salah between me and my slave into two halves. And whatever my slave asks of me, he will get. He will get whatever he asks. So when the slave says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. For example, now the Fatiha. When we recite these verses, every rak'ah we recite, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praises and thanks belongs to Allah. The Lord of all that exists. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds and he says, Hamidani abdi. My slave has praised me. He has thanked me. There's a response that comes from Allah. Again, when we realize this, the next time we recite Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, we should be in a different state. We should be in a different state, different condition now. Because we understand that we are saying something and Allah is responding to us. Hamidani abdi. My slave has praised me. And when we say Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah Azza wa Jal responds and He says, Athna alayya abdi. My slave has exalted me. My slave has praised me again. And when you say again, Maliki yawmiddin, Allah says, Majjadani abdi. My slave has extolled me. Again, these words are very similar. You know, majd and thana and hamd, they all basically mean praise. In English, you could just say glorified me or extolled my praises or sang my praises. The point here is Allah Azza wa Jal responds to this, these ayat. Until a point comes in the Fatiha where Allah says whatever he asks is for him. And what do we ask for? Guidance. In the Fatiha. Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeem. Right? This hadith again. This hadith is enough to bring about khushu' If we understand and reflect over the hadith, that every time we recite this ayah, one of these ayat, Allah responds to it. Meaning Allah is listening. So we need to be aware. We need to have khushu' Our heart needs to be present. And understand that Allah responds. Yunaji Rabbahu, the hadith says, he's having a discussion with his Lord. He is speaking to his Lord. Allah hears it and Allah responds to it. This is enough to bring about khushu'. This is enough to remind us to keep us away in the salah. That we don't just make salah to get it over with. We don't just make the salah as lip service. It's done, khalas. The wajib has been fulfilled, that's it. You know, the salah is so much more than that. So much more than that. There is so many benefits to get out of that each salah, one salah. Has so many benefits. The only way you're going to reap that benefits is if you make salah appropriately. You make salah properly. You give the salah its haq. It's due right over you. And this is in fact the right of Allah Azza wa Jal. That we give that salah its haq. Tayyib. Um, so what does the hadith also say? That this person who's in salah, he's having a discussion with his Lord. So he should not spit in front of him. And he don't, don't spit, you know, forward as you are standing. You don't spit in front of you. And this is again, يعني, that's your place of sujood, you know. That's your place of sujood firstly. 
to spit there is obviously not appropriate. But there's another reason not for, for, for not doing this, and we're going to get there. Nor should he spit to his, to his right. ولكن عن شماله تحت قدمه أو تحت قدمه as the other hadith says what does this basically mean if you need to spit there is a reason that you need to let's say you got some serious phlegm or something right that you are unable to swallow then this is where you should spit. Remember, this is this was mentioned in a time where the masajid did not have carpets, where they did not make salan carpets. So to, to spit on a carpet is something different, right? In a general masjid, to spit on a carpet, if it's sandy and you spit, it's easy to cover up the spit. And no traces are left. You understand? So there's no harm in that. But to go to a masjid now and spit, you know, the way things are now in the masjid, this is not appropriate. In fact, somebody might smack you. Honestly, somebody might smack you in the salah. There's an old Buddha standing there next to you or behind you and you do this. Even if you were, you know, a real need to split, you might get a big smack on the back of your head. It becomes a bit of a fitna perhaps. So, it says, if you need to split basically, you split behind your feet basically. You understand? basically down so that it will end up at the bottom of your foot so you don't harm anybody around you understand but this as we say is if you really needed to spit again nowadays we have pockets and if you have a tissue with you and you really need it to you can spit in the tissue as we said that is a movement that would be permissible because you are getting rid of some phlegm for example that's irritating you that can disturb your salah can disturb your khushu'. So in that case, it's permissible to take out a tissue or a handkerchief and, you know, spit what you need to spit and put it away. There will be no harm in this bi'idnillah. Likewise, as we said, even blowing your nose. If you have a problem, your nose is leaking, your nose is dripping, your nose is worrying you. You can take out your tissue, blow your nose in the salah and put it away. Why? So that you can now make salah properly. You can now make salah with khushu'. Because if the nose is constantly dripping and irritating you and itching or, you know, you're not going to focus in the salah. So these are movements that are permissible uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, طيب. From the benefits of this hadith, we see once again the great status that salah has. That it is the connection between the slave and his master. It is truly the connection between the slave and his lord. And that the slave here, he is in a dialogue with his lord. Yunaji Rabbahu. And what better dialogue can a person possibly have when he has a dialogue with his lord, with his maker, with Allah Azza wa Jal? This is supposed to be the thing that's the most beloved to us. This is supposed to be the moment. That is the most beloved to insan when he gets to address his Lord. When he gets to stand and be connected with Allah Azza wa Jal. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the moment where you find your peace. Where your eyes are cooled. 
with any distractions of the dunya is placed behind you. And this is what Rasulullah sallallahu meant when he said, وَجُعِلَتْ قُرَّةُ عَيْنِي فِي الصَّلَاةِ He said the coolness of my eyes has been placed in salah. Yani when he made salah, that was where any worries, any issues, distractions, sorrow or grief was removed. That's where he found his tranquility, his peace. Because he understood he is now speaking to Allah directly. Yani he's now in a discussion with Allah. He is now directly connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he used to say to Bilal, radiallahu anhu, to Bilal when he went to make the adhan, Ya Bilal, arihna biha. Go give the adhan and give us comfort through that. Go give us comfort. Go give us that moment of comfort, of, ple- of pleasure, of happiness, of joy, of peace. This was what, they used to, what he would tell Bilal. Yani when the adhan went, that was the moment when they would sit, relax and get ready to pray. Get ready for salah. Get ready for peace. You understand? And yeah, Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, he says, Today, how many people say, Arihna minha. The Prophet Sallam used to say, Arihna biha. Give us peace through the through the adhan, a through the call to prayer. But today, what do people say? Give us that comfort and peace. Minha. Yani, what does this mean? It's the opposite meaning, basically. Instead of give us peace through the salah, give us peace away from the salah. This is what people would say today. Get the salah over and done with. Or don't, you know... <coughs> Yani, their peace is found away from the salah. When the salah is done and over, out the masjid, out of the state of salah, peace is found where when they relax, sit down, lay down, watch something, catch up on some series. That's peace for people, as opposed to peace with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what the Sheikh means when he says, Today, how many, how many people don't say, Arihna minha? Give us peace away from the salah. You know, salah, okay, it's over, okay, we made maghrib, okay, don't tell me to make salah, don't, you know, don't carry on, don't, uh, you know, don't keep on. It's something that has become difficult and heavy upon people. Such that the sheikh says, asqala min al-jibal, heavier than a mountain for some people to carry, for them to stand up and make salah, for them to stand up and pray in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Especially Fajr. When you're in your bed and it's, you're sleeping and you're tired and it's cold and the blankets and that is where the true test comes from subhanahu wa ta'ala, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That it's there where you get up and you stand in front of Allah to please Him and you show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that sincerity that you want to please Him and pray. And that's where you find your peace. That's where you, a mu'min truly finds his peace. But when your peace is not found in the salah, it means there's a problem with your salah. It means you are not making salah properly. It means there is something that needs to be fixed up. There are some sins that are blocking the way to finding that peace. There are sins that are blocking the way huh, from that coolness of your eyes that should be found in the salah. And there is no khushu'ah. 
when there's khushu' you will find that peace and that moment of, of calmness and tranquility in the salah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us and not to make us of those who struggle with salah and those who struggle with khushu' because the reality is struggling with salah and salah becomes difficult and it becomes a burden and it becomes something that you you know you 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 look forward to getting over with it or, or, or neglecting it or you don't feel this is the sign of nifaq this in reality is a sign of the munafiqeen this is the trait of the munafiqeen so we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us from this right allah speaks about this in the quran when they stand they stand kusala they stand lazily for salah the munafiqeen when they stand they stand up they make salah but they stand up lazily kusala you know it's an effort it's a struggle it's you know it's such a big mission just to get the salah over with this is a trait of the munafiqeen where's the believer he's ready okay we get up we stand we make wudu we stand and pray Alhamdulillah, we feel good after we made salah. This is a good sign, bi-idhnillah ta'ala. Tayyip, we move on. The next point that the Sheikh makes is that it is forbidden to spit in front of oneself in the salah. Why? Because as we said, he is, yes, he's, who is he speaking to? He's having a dialogue with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how can you spit in front of yourself when you are actually addressing and facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one you are addressing and you are spitting, what, 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 what does this prove? What does this show? It shows no khushur. There's no humility. There's no concentration. And it also shows a disrespect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you have a discussion with any person, huh? we have a discussion. Will I, would you spit in front of me? Will I spit in front of you? No, I wouldn't. It's just disrespectful. To do this with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is undoubtedly disrespectful. Right? We would not even do this with normal people, lay people, even your friend or family. You don't spit in front of somebody. Right? How then will this be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So no doubt we say this is something that is forbidden. To spit in front of yourself in the salah is haram. It is haram because this shows su'ul adab. This shows an, an evil uh, uh, adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's another hadith that adds on to this one that says, the reason why you should not spit in front of you is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in front of you. You should not spit in front of you because Allah is in front of you. Now, now there's a small problem that might come up here. For some, and that is, how can Allah be in, in front of you? Is it possible? What's meant by this? Where is Allah? Allah is above the throne. Right, He's above the heavens. How does the hadith say Allah is in front of you? So for some people this is a problem because you know as we said how can Allah be above the heavens but at the same time be in front of you 
Right? So there's a contradiction here. Slight seems like a contradiction here. So first need to answer this doubt. Right? Ibn Uthaymin says, if we say Allah is in front of you, meaning He is in front of you, this doesn't mean that He has to be physically right in front of you. He can be just in that direction, for example. He is in front of you, but that doesn't mean He has to be right in front of you. For example, like the moon and the sun. If you understand here, the moon is in... Where is the moon? The moon is up in the heavens, right? It's up in the sky. But it's also in front of me. It's also in front of me. You take sunset or sunrise. If you are looking at the sun, where is the sun? It's in front of you. But at the same time, where is the sun? It's far, far up above. You understand? To Allah belongs the highest of examples. We believe Allah is above. But that just means He's in that direction. You are facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So do not spit in that direction because Allah is in front of you. That doesn't necessitate that Allah is physically in front of you. Right? That's, that's one type of answer to this type of question that somebody might ask. How can you say Allah is above the heavens but this hadith says Allah is in front of you. That's one way we could answer. Ultimately, what do we actually say? Sami'na wa ata'na. These are logical arguments about who? Allah Almighty, Allah Azza wa Jal. We as, I think yesterday we spoke about it. If Allah is Al-Kabir and Al-Azim, He is so great, so magnificent, so powerful, so mighty, our minds cannot comprehend Allah. So we should not even bother asking these type of questions. About how can Allah be here and be there and be like this and be like that. Right? We submit and we say, Khalas, Allah said He's above, we believe He's above. The hadith says, don't spit because Allah said, it says that Allah is in front of you. We, there's no need to ask how. There's no need to ask how can it be and that be at the same time. You understand? We could argue if we wanted to about, can it possibly make sense? Here we gave an example where it can make sense. The moon can be in front of you and above you at the same time. Right? So this can be possible for Allah Azza wa Jal as well. But ultimately we don't need to get into these type of discussions. Because we accept what the Quran and the Sunnah says on its apparent meaning and Allah knows best. Are there any questions on this hadith? طيب, the next hadith is also narrated by Anas radiallahu anhu and he said كان قرام سترت به جانب بيتها فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أميطي عنا قرامك هذا فإنه لا تزال تصاويره تعرض لي في صلاتي رواه البخاري This hadith says that Aisha رضي الله عنها أم المؤمنين She had a curtain She had a curtain which covered a side of a house which covered Basically, one angle or a side of a house. And so the Prophet said to her, Remove this curtain from us. Take this curtain away. Because the, the images on the curtain, the pictures on the curtain, is distracting me in my salah. Understand? So, first and foremost, these pictures. Right? It was not imagery that is haram. We are not speaking about imagery that is haram. 
like animate uh, objects or animate pictures, right? In fact, we know of a hadith where there was something animate. Aisha had something on a pillowcase or on a curtain that was animate. It was a type of horse that she had. And the Prophet refused to enter the house until these things were removed. So this is not speaking about animate objects. Those things were removed from the house. This, this curtain had certain designs on it. As opposed to, let's say, yani designs rather than animate pictures. So it had some, you know, some type of design, some within the fabric. Okay? This is what, uh, what the issue was. Right? So he said to her to remove this curtain because it is distracting him in the, in the salah. Understand? Benefits of this hadith is not befitting for a person to make salah towards something that will be distracting for him. Something that will distract him. Because this hadith says that he told Aisha, remove the curtain from us, from this house. Right? And this is why many ulama, they said that to have something written in front of the masjid, in the direction of the qibla, is makruh or haram. To have something written in the masjid, you know, like the rakams and paintings and designs, is not permissible. Why? Because as people stand in salah, they may look and they may be distracted. Understand? Even over and above that, the carpets. Even more importantly is the, the carpet design. The design should not be something such that it is distracting to the person making salah. So as you are standing, you are looking at the, all of the designs and the patterns and there's a masjid on there and you're looking at the masjid and in the salah, this is what shaitan will do. You understand? So as you are, and I can recall this, as a youngster and I used to make salah, I used to look at the designs in the, on this musallah at home. I can, I can remember this actually vividly. Standing on the musalla next to my father and I would look at the various designs and they look at the masjid there on this thing and the, you know, this is what happens in the salah, this is what happens. And this is what shaitan will do. When the, 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 the sajada, the sajada, not the musallis, the sajada has any type of design that is distracting, this is not befitting for salah. This is not befitting for salah. So the best thing to have in the masjid is either a plain carpet or a carpet with just a line. You know, where there's lines for the people to stand on. This is something that's good. But the moment there is funny or funky designs or, you know, this becomes an issue because it becomes distracting for people. It becomes distracting for people. So the sheikh here, he speaks about, he speaks more about the issue on the wall, in front of the qibla. The people are making salah and there are things put up. Right? With, he says, irrespective of what's written. If there are things written there and it's distracting, it's a problem. If there are items or, or words that are written on the wall and it's distracting, then it's a problem. Understand? If it's haram that's written on the wall, then it's even, then it's even an even bigger problem. Understand? There's a problematic thing written on the wall, it's an even bigger problem. Like you have, there's a masjid here around the corner. That has in the wall, um, Muhammad, Nurin min Nurillah. Muhammad is a light from the light of Allah. 
use a light that's from the light of of Allah. Right, so this is a problem. Why is this a problem? Because it's actually shirk. You are now saying that he is a part of Allah. You understand? So to have that written on the wall is not just makruh, it's now a major issue. Because this is written on the wall, Habibiyah. Right? It's not it's expected at Sufi, so that it's kind of expected from them. But the point is, I'm just giving an example where there may be something written on the wall that's not just uh, 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 a problem. What's actually written is, is haram. So it's a bigger problem. You understand? But the issue we are discussing now is more on the distraction issue. Another example the Sheikh gives is some masajid have Allahu Muhammad. Allah and Muhammad alongside each other. Right? And many ulama have a problem with this. Because they say that they should not be put next to each other. They should not be put next to each other. So someone might look at them and say, oh, this is, they are equal to each other. You understand? From that angle, many scholars have said they should not be placed like this. In fact, I know one masjid where there was a big fight about this. Where they, where they placed the, the rakams, you know. And somebody objected and they said, others said it's not an issue. And they had a big argument about it. But how the rakam should be placed. And the one said Allah's name must be above and so forth. And Allah alam. The best is not to have it on the walls. The best is not to have it on the walls. There's no benefit. It doesn't act as a, as a, as a talisman like some would think. You know, like it protects the place. It doesn't act as a reminder for anybody. It's just there for beautification. And Allah's names and the Prophet's name is not there for beautification. The same, of course, with ayat of the Quran. Right? The same, of course, with ayat of the Quran. Um, so another famous example would be people in many masajid, not just here. I've seen this in, in you know, in the Middle East and in, in Saudi and so forth. People write in the mihrab. Of the Imam, كلما دخل عليها زكريا المحراب وجد عندها رزقا. When ever Zakaria عليه السلام entered the mihrab of who? Of Maryam. He would find with her rizq. She had used to have sustenance with her, fruits and things that she would eat from, and he would be like, where is this coming from? And she would say, it came from Allah. Right, she's, her response was, it came from Allah. This is Surah Ali Imran, the ayat of the verse 37. Right? So, the ayah mentions mihrab. Are you with me? The mihrab today is where the imam stands. The mimbar is where the imam gives the khutbah from. He climbs up the mimbar and he gives the khutbah. The mihrab is the, the place where the imam stands to lead the salah. So many people, they put this ayah there to say, كُلَّمَا دَخَلَ عَلَيْهَا زَكَارِيَّ الْمِحْرَابَ وَجَدَ عِنْدَهَا رِزْقَ This in reality has nothing to do with the ayah. The ayah is speaking about when Maryam السلام, used to sit and she used to worship Allah. Whenever Zakaria came to check on her, she used to have sustenance with her, rizq with her. It's got nothing to do with the archway where we make salah, where the imam stands and he makes, you understand? It's out of context. But people took it because the word mihrab is there, so they wrote it on the... Like I said, I've seen this in many masajid, local and abroad. In reality, the ayah has nothing to do with this mihrab that we are basically making salah from. <coughs> Understand? The shaykh says, it's not permissible to put this ayah there. It has nothing to do with that arch or to do with the mihrab of the imam and so forth. Right? 
So that should be avoided because it is a distraction and the ayah is also being used out of context. Um, so if we see this, the Sheikh says we should try and speak to those who are in charge of the masjid and explain to them and you know, at least if you've done this, then your obligation has been fulfilled. And you conveyed the message. If they don't listen, then uh, you know, that's upon them and not upon you and Allah knows best. So the Sheikh says we should try and actually encourage people not to do this. Um, it's highly unlikely they're going to wipe it off the walls and they're going to remove the, you know, sometimes it's, you know, calligraphy and they paid a lot of money for it. And But anyways, if you did your duty and you advised, alhamdulillah. Then the Sheikh mentions the mas'ala and he says, is it permissible for the Imam if he is making salah or any, any musalli making salah and he is suddenly distracting with this on the carpets or on the walls? Is it permissible for him to close his eyes? Right? So we know the asal is you're supposed to be looking at the place of sajda. Right? That's where we're supposed to be looking in salah. You're not supposed to be making salah with your eyes closed. Right? That's not sunnah. But in this case, you are distracted. The musalla or the sajada is full of distractions. And if you look ahead, there's also distractions. So what do you do? In this case, the sheikh says it's permissible to to close the eyes and to make salah. In this case, it's permissible to close the eyes and to make salah. The last point in this hadith, the Prophet he also mentions the, 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 the adab of the Prophet Instead of going and just removing the curtain, he said to Aisha, can you please remove the curtain? This was her curtain. She put the curtain up. You understand? So as a husband, this was his etiquette and respect. He could have easily just gone and removed it. But she might have felt not bad by that. So instead of he advised her and he said to her, can you maybe please remove it? It's disturbing in the salah. So there was no issue created. There was no harshness in speech. It was done with adab and respect. And this shows us the respect of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So any issue distracting you from the salah, you should try and put a stop or cut that issue out or get rid of that issue. If it's a picture or a curtain or a mat or if somebody is doing something that's disturbing you, you're allowed to ask him to tone it down or to, you know, go outside or do whatever. But with adab, with respect, you know, you explain salah is happening and so forth. And Allah knows best. The next hadith, um, Ibn Hajar says, وَاتَّفَقَ عَلَى حَدِيثِهَا فِي قِصَّةِ أن بجانية أبي جهم وفيه فإنها ألهتني عن صلاتي. حديث أوصي بخاري المسلم. What happened, right? Meaning, what happened in this issue with Abu Jahm? A Sahabi came and he gave a gift to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. What did he give him? A khamisah. He gave him a khamisah. What is a khamisah? It is basically like an expensive shirt, like an expensive shirt that he wore, or a thobe that he wore, something that he wore that's very expensive, and on it it had some pictures. Again, not animate pictures, but some designs on the shirt, right? And so what happened was is, the Prophet ﷺ made salah in this khabisah. And the first issue to Ibn Uthaymin says is, this proves it's permissible to make salah with expensive clothing on. It's not, there's no issue with that, right? On condition, it does not distract you from the salah, right? So you shouldn't be making salah and you're more worried about your shirt because your shirt is expensive or your jacket because your jacket is so, you know, you've got to keep on straightening it out and make it nice in this. 
Because it's, if that's the case, take a jacket off and make salah. Okay? The Prophet made salah in this jacket or this khamisa. And what happened? At the end of the salah, he gave it back to Abu Jahab. Because he said to him, it disturbed me in the salah. Because it had some designs on it. And this was a disturbance for the Prophet And so he gave the jacket back. Right? And so what happened? Obviously now if this happens, Abu Jahab might feel bad again. Because his, his gift is being given back to him. Right? And so what Rasulullah did was, is he asked him for something else. He asked him for something called an anbajaniyah. Anbijaniyah. Anbijaniyah. Right? It's a, not a very common word. Anbijaniyah. An anbijaniyah is a, is a type of garment which is very rough and coarse. But it was plain. It was plain. And he took this from Abu Jaham instead. Right? And by doing this again, he made Abu Jaham feel good. Because it was not like he was rejecting him or his gift. Rather, it was just that this gift wasn't appropriate for him, he felt. And he actually asked him for something else. Instead, you can give me that. Even though that thing was much cheaper perhaps. But it also made Abu Jahan feel well, feel good about himself. Right? So the point here is that Anbijaniya did not disturb him in the salah. He took that and he, and he would wear that and make salah with that. But the main issue here is, if it disturbs you in the salah, take it off. A common example today would be socks. Right? Because now part of fashion is that you wear funky socks. Man. People wear very, very strange and funky looking socks. You know, you get special expensive socks that comes with crazy designs on it and pictures on it and words and writing on it. That's not appropriate for the salah. Not for yourself and not for others either. Right? Not for yourself and not for others either. That you got funky socks on socks that's different colors or bright colors or... It's got some crazy pictures on it or a lot of writing on it. It's not befitting that you wear this to the masjid because of distracting others and also for your own uh, distraction that you do not get distraction, distracted. Uh, the last point in this hadith, Ibn Uthaymin says this also proves that the Prophet <coughs> was, a, was a human being. He got distra- distracted just like other people get distracted. But he made sure to cut out the distractions. طيب, we move on the next hadith from Jabir ibn Samurah رضي الله عنه that he said that Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم said لا ينتهينا أقوام يرفعون أبصارهم إلى السماء في الصلاة أو لا ترجع إليهم رواه مسلم he says that people must and should stop raising their eyes to the heavens in the salah they must continuously stop or put a stop to raising their eyes to the heavens Basically looking up in the salah. أو لا ترجعوا إليهم Perhaps their eyes might not, return, might not return to them. Their eyes might not return to them. Right? What do we get from this hadith? The first benefit is the warning on raising the eyes towards the heavens in salah. Secondly, um, that raising, looking up into the sky in salah is haram. To look up. Right? So basically turn your head and look up. As you are making salah, this is haram. Right? And some ulama said it's a major sin because of the threat that's mentioned at the end that your, your gaze may not be returned to you. You understand? 
that your gaze may not be returned to you. So some ulama said it's a major sin. Okay? Does this nullify your salah? Right? Most ulama say it does not nullify your salah, but it's a major sin. It does not nullify your salah, but it is a major sin. Third benefit the Sheikh says is that from what we see today, some people, when they come up from ruku' they raise their head. You know, some people, they come up from ruku' and they look up. And some people, when they're in the qunut, they might make qunut and they're looking up. You understand? They are still in salah. So it should not be done. You understand? They should be advised again and explain this hadith that the person forbade us of looking up in the salah. Okay? Perhaps your case may not return to you. We should advise people who we see making this mistake. The next issue he mentions is what about um, raising your head but closing your eyes? So you raise your head towards the heavens like this, like you know, you, you, you uh, basically uh, put your head, your neck to the back, but you close your eyes and so you're not looking up. Is it the same thing? It's the same thing. Still, you're looking up into the heavens even though your eyes are closed. This is still not permissible. Right? What about looking up without bending your neck? So either way, if you are looking up or your head is up, both is forbidden. Both is forbidden. There should be no facing up basically. You look down and that's it. So you don't look up with your eyes nor do you bend your head up. There's no need to do that. So both of this is inclusive of the hadith and Allah knows best. Um, what about in dua? So out of the salah now, right? Out of the salah, can you look up into the heavens in dua? Some ulama say it's, it's actually one of the means to have your du'as accepted. That you look up into the heavens when you make du'a. Some ulama said that when you make du'a out of the salah, it's mustahab that you look up as you're addressing Allah. It's mustahab that you look up as you're addressing Allah. This is one of the ways to have your du'as accepted. So this is permissible. But in the salah, it is forbidden and Allah knows best. Uh, the next hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha that she said, سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ يَقُولُ لَا صَلَاةَ بِحَضْرَةِ طَعَامٍ وَلَا هُوَ يُدَافِعُهُ الْأَخْبَثَانِ Two muhadith left. She said, I heard Rasulullah saying, there is no salah when the food has been served. Right? And this is something we discussed previously. وَلَا هُوَ يُدَافِعُهُ الْأَخْبَثَانِ And there is no salah when the person making salah is trying to prevent himself from the two uh, Akhbathan, the two, uh, the two evil or dirty ones, right? What's meant by this is a wind and urine. If you are trying to prevent yourself from this, there is no salah like this. So again, this hadith ideally should have been placed earlier on when we spoke about the issue of the of the food being served, right? Yeah, we are speaking about two things: the food. And the issue of you need to go to the toilet or you need to break your wudu. You are trying to prevent yourself from this because you want to get over with the salah. You don't want to break your wudu. If that's the case, the Prophet says there's no salah like that. Meaning, there's no proper salah that's done like that. Salah is not ideally done in that way. Understand? Um, tayyib. So, the issue of the food being served, right? There's a couple of conditions here. It doesn't mean, okay, there's somebody put some dates on the table or some food on the table, so you can delay the salah and you cannot go to the masjid and not pray in jama'ah. 
There's a couple of conditions here. Firstly, you need to be hungry. You need to be hungry. And if you don't eat, it's going to be a distraction for you. You need to be inclined towards the food. Yani you, 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 as we say, you lust for the food. Man. Huh? You are desiring the food. That's a condition. If that's not the case, and as I'm sitting here, I don't desire this tea or I don't desire the dates, for example. In that case, that's, that doesn't count. Are you with me? Or I am sufficed, I've eaten. In that case, it doesn't count. I need to go and pray in jama'ah. Are you with me? And the third condition is must be halal, of course. Not, if it's haram food day, of course you cannot use that as an excuse. Understand? So you have to be... Uh, Hungry, you need to be desiring the food and it has to be halal. In that case, if those three conditions are fulfilled, then you're allowed to delay the salah and not attend the jama'ah and make sure that you eat first. Okay? The same with the issue of, of, of breaking the wudu. The same with the issue of breaking the wudu. Yani, you need to be in a state of, if you're in a state of desperation, then we definitely say it's best to relieve yourself, freshen up, take wudu, and then make salah, right? Freshen up and then make salah. But if it's, you know, you don't really feel the need, the urgency, it's okay for you to make salah, in that way you can still focus, then we should make salah. Then it's best to, to make the salah and get it over with. Is this understood? Tayyip. The last hadith from Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, At-tatha'ubu min shaytan Yawning is from the shaitan. If one of you wants to yawn, let him suppress the yawn as much as he can. This hadith is in Muslim and a Tirmidhi who added for salah. That he should do this when he's in the state of salah. You should suppress the yawn. So if you are in salah and you feel the need to yawn, and you know this happens sometimes, you yawn once and you yawn all the time, you should actually suppress the yawn. Try your best to prevent yourself from yawning okay as much as you as much as you can because it's actually from shaitan shaitan wants that that you are tired and lethargic and you know it's a sign of laziness a sign of tiredness yawning all the time so if you have the urgency to yawn suppress the yawn as much as you can especially if you're in salah especially if you are in salah right and this is done obviously by you know trying to close your mouth and to prevent the yawn from coming out and Part of the etiquette of yawning is obviously to cover your mouth when you yawn because another hadith mentions that if you yawn and your mouth is open, the shaitan enters your mouth. Right? The shaitan goes inside and he enters your mouth. Another etiquette of yawning is that you do not make a sound when you yawn. Right? So when you yawn, you don't, you know, sigh and you, uh, you know, like people make sounds when they yawn, it's like a big. <sighs> You know, it's many sounds, different type of sounds, um, But the hadith says, when you make that sound, shaitan laughs at you. Shaitan laughs at you. So these are some of the etiquettes of yawning. The main one here is, if you are in the salah and you yawn, suppress, don't try not to yawn. Suppress the yawn. Keep it back. If you do yawn, block your mouth and don't make any sounds. Don't make any sounds. Understand? And that's all part of khushur. That if you're truly in a state of khushur, you don't yawn all the time. So the moment that urgency comes, you suppress the yawn because you are in salah. You are focusing. But this is also part of khushur. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. All factors of khushur. 
And if you think about how we spoke about the yawning now, the using of the toilet is a disturbance. You need to relieve yourself. How do you make salah like that? If you are thinking about the food, how are you going to make salah? If you are craving the food, you are hungry. You're not going to make salah properly. What else did we speak about? Before that, what did we speak about? The limbs, not movement of the limbs. The spitting, you know, tonight we spoke about spitting. We spoke about. You know, spit to the left or behind your feet, basically, if you really need to. But otherwise, prevent yourself. Not looking up. Because that's not part of etiquette with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The part of khushu' is that you look down. You are focused, your eyes are fixed on one point. That you don't look around in the salah. That's not appropriate. Right? So part of khushu' is you stand with humility in front of Allah. So you stand, your eyes are fixed downward to one point that you are making sajda upon. Understand? As opposed to looking up. As opposed to looking around. This part of khushu'. Right? The other issue was not being distracted. So no, no patterns on your socks or your, 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 your pants, your clothing. No patterns on the sajada. No patterns on the walls. These things are disturbing. The, all of this is so that your khushu can be in place. So this entire chapter was about the importance of khushu. And how the Prophet and so many issues came up, all for what? To protect one's khushur. All to make sure that we take heed of these, this advice and to protect our khushur from all of these different angles. From all of these different angles and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Khamisah. Khamisah. Khamim ya saad tamarbuta. Khamisah. A khamis is a shirt. Khamis. A qamis is a shirt, or even like a thawb. Khamisa is something a bit more expensive, more valuable. Something more, you know, like a fabric is extremely uh, uh, expensive and so forth. Khamisa. But again, there's no problem with that. But it mustn't have distractions on it. Because then when you make salah, it could be a problem. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك